Hello and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. Yes, and you that's are. It. <laughs> and uh, and that's it. Uh, the uh, the other two guys, uh, they they will not they would not join us this week. I so. say Tristan. I think just said he didn't want to, but Elijah actually had a good excuse. Elijah so. had a great excuse. Tristan just didn't want to. Well, uh, so that's okay. We have a guest. Yes, we do. We have an amazing guest. Uh, so welcome to the welcome to the podcast. Welcome to saying the skein, Mr. Lucas Parker. Hello, hi, hi, Lucas. Yeah, it's me. Yes. Uh, so I've just met you today, so I don't really know anything about you. So tell us, tell me about yourself, and those listening at home. All right. I um. Well, you know, I'm a theater major, second year. Okay. I, uh, you know, my favorite animal is the cat. Mm. Uh, subset of that category, uh, tiger. Okay. Uh, and my favorite color is green. All right. I can get on board with all of that. I also have a cat. Nice. I have two. Yeah, poor Frank. He he uh, he had a bath today. Mm. <laughs> Bless his heart. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so Lucas and I know each other uh, from the uh, from the theater world, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but when we decided uh, we were going to be doing uh, all horror movies this month, you know, I knew that Lucas, huge fan of horror movies. Uh, huge fan of the random 80s just weird horror movies that i'm also a fan of um i knew we had to have them on uh so uh, so yeah so we are so excited that you're here lucas and uh yeah ben why don't you ask me a prompting question so i can say what movie we watched this week i would be glad to so doug it is the second week of horror october which is still a horrible name huh <laughs> you like that no, I didn't, but it's right. go on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so what uh, weird 80s horror movie did we watch this week? Well, I'm glad you asked, Ben. Uh, so this week, ladies and gentlemen, we watched the 1983, not really classic, not even cult classic, but people know the ending of it, uh, Sleepaway Camp, uh, directed by Robert Hiltzig, um, his first and one of his two only movies that he's ever directed. Uh, directed by Robert Hiltzig, starring Felissa Rose, Jonathan Tiersten, Karen Fields, Paul D'Angelo, uh, Desiree Gold, and Mike Kellen, and then some other folks. Oh, and one other person, Robert Earl Jones. Uh, if that name sounds any way familiar, uh, it's because you probably know his son, James Earl Jones. Yeah, I've um, heard of him. Yeah, you know, I think, I think I'm just lightly familiar. Uh, hey, but, uh, uh, he played that dude in uh, The Sandlot. Yeah, he, he did. And he's done nothing else remarkable. No. At all. You know, the amount of sarcasm coming from over here is just amazing, Ben. I'm <laughs> hey, a after the way it. that I started the podcast, I gotta get back into it. Yeah. Uh, for those of y'all who, you know, didn't hear it, which is all of y'all because I'm not including it, uh, the first time I hit record, I said, Hi, welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Doug. I'm not Doug. Play along with it. All right, so. So anyway, so getting back into the business of this podcast. Um, so yeah, so Sleepaway Camp uh, holds a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb, a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and joining the lineup of just random sites that rates movies, a 4.3 out of 5 on Shudder.com. I don't know what that is. Once again, I actually do. Um, and once again, because Google apparently ranks movies, uh, it holds a 91% on Google. Uh, and... Uh, and I'm sure everyone's really curious how much money how much money did this movie cost and how much money did this movie make? Yes, but before we get to that, I really just want to say I hope at some point we get a Yelp review for our movie. I do too. 
Oh, that'd be so good. I do too. There has got to be a Yelp review for a movie somewhere. <laughs> um, and we'll so, find it. So, so anyway, so this movie had a budget of $350,000. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, clearly, that's all on the screen. Cause right. Yeah. This is, this is a very, it's not absurdly cheap looking, but it is cheap looking mm-hmm. um, in that 80s way that things can be cheap looking. Uh, which is not to crap on all 80s movies, because there are some 80s horror movies that look great. Uh, Reanimator being one of them. Um, but uh, but anyway, okay, so budget of $350,000 made $11 million at the wow. box office. That's incredible. Huh. Wow, yeah. And that's before inflation. I don't right. know what post-inflation is. But A lot yeah. more than that. Yeah. Um. But still, I, think, I mean, it made almost, like, over 30 times its budget. I think this might... I think this movie might currently hold the record for the largest, like, increase... Uh, or largest return on investment for a movie that we've covered. Uh, but, uh... But, yeah. Made a lot of money. Especially in the 80s. But, uh... But, yeah. Uh, this, uh... This one is a lot to unpack. I'm not gonna yeah, lie. Yeah, that, that's one way to put it. Yeah, that's it's definitely a movie. <laughs> when uh, when we got this got this month's lineup set up, uh, and by we I mean me because I kind of curated this month. I'd say you're um, the only one of us who knows really anything about horror films. So if anybody was going to do it, it was gonna be you. So I knew that Midsummer was going to be some iffy subject matter. I know that next week's movie is going to be some iffy subject matter. I forgot that this movie is iffy subject matter. But dear lord, it is. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, let's let's just get into it. Uh, well, before we do, uh, Doug, uh, you were the only one that's seen this movie before, right? Yes. Uh, Lucas, did you know anything about the movie uh, before coming in? Yeah, I, I had like... I'd seen it forever ago, like, to the point where I barely remembered anything besides roughly, oh, you know, people die, and then the big thing at the end, but besides that, yeah. I... Alright, that, that's more than I knew. Um, so, Doug told me what happens at the end of this movie, like, a month, month and a half ago. Um, yeah, and then I saw it tonight. Now we're here. I, uh, I had to pitch them all the movies that I wanted to do for Horror October, mm-hmm. and we couldn't decide. I couldn't decide between this and Reanimator, and uh. and I was like, "Well, this is the ending of Sleepaway Camp, but the one really like infamous scene of Reanimator that I can't even say the visual gag." Oh the, yeah, yeah, no, that, you, you know what I'm talking. That's about. the one that you skip whenever you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ben, you might never know what we're talking about. That's um, probably true, except I feel like we're probably going to end up talking about it at some point. Hopefully. Um, but, uh, but anyway, That's yeah. not foreshadowing. We're not talking about it this month. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, yeah. Um, so, uh, so I've seen this movie a handful of times before, and, you know, I really, I really did think when I was pitching it, I was like, I only remember, like, some really campy kills, like, not too much... You know, there's a. I knew the ending, and I was like, "There's, there's not a whole lot of like just terrible stuff in there." And then I watched it again. And I was like, "Oh, 
crap. <laughs> I I know what we have at the beginning of our list, but I honestly just kind of want to touch. I honestly just want to kind of go straight into like the horrible stuff that's in this movie. All right, well let's All do right. it. Yeah, right. I'm kind of taking a back seat, letting you drive this sucker. All right, sweet. I can do that. So, listeners, to saying the skein, um, you know. I think we take for granted a lot of times, like, the the improvements we've had in the standards of, like, what is considered decent and what is not considered decent uh, in modern cinema or in modern art in general. I think, by and large, I think we've made massive improvements in terms of, like, what should or should not be put on camera. Right. Unfortunately, this movie doesn't follow any of those standards. Uh, yeah, and no. uh, and it didn't even follow some of the standards for uh, for the eighties. Um, so you know we have a uh, we have some mild uh, pedophilia, uh, some uh, some uh, sexual assault, uh, some attempted rape, uh, some uh, some some racism, some homophobia, some random drunk guy showing off his penis. You know you kind of jumped me on that one. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna get there. <laughs> that, that's why I'm here to speed things up. Yeah. So, so if you don't know, if you don't know the story of this movie, so basically you have, you have uh, the summer camp. All these kids are there, uh, and the main character Angela. Um, I forget where her last name is. Um, they make no it clue. very. I think they really kind of telepathed it, or kind of uh, tell everyone very early on, like she's the killer. Trust me. She's the killer. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like uh, first kill, maybe maybe second. You're like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but uh, but I mean, they they really tell you early on that she is the killer, and I think because they let you know so early so early on that she is the killer, they're going to give you as many reasons as possible to root for to quote unquote root for her. Um, so you know, look, I'm trying, Ben. I'm working I know. on it. Uh, just like the way you said that, I don't necessarily think that us, it's like we, the audience, rooting for her as much it is as much as it is us, the audience, rooting against everybody else. That's fair. Mm. That's fair. Because like, I mean, she's not like a horrible person, other than no. you know the whole murdering everybody. Um, yeah. But, like, she doesn't really do anything to be, like, I guess to, like, portray any kind of, like, a hero in the story. Like, mm-hmm. it's more she's just bullied so we don't like any of the people that are bullying her or taking advantage of her. In a way, you could kind of make comparisons, like, in the in the relationship that, you know, as, as you know, you see her as a victim. You could, sorry... You could compare the way that you kind of see her as a victim and kind of root for her in the way that you root for Carrie. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a I think that's a fair comparison. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't know who Carrie is. Oh, like from the movie uh, Carrie ah. with the the one with the pink. Uh, cla- it's classic, man. It's a um... she. She's at. She's at. Okay, first of all, just just for the record, Ben does not know a lot of movies. It's true. Um, oh, okay. Second of you all, know, that's, I respect Ben. That. You've seen a scene from Carrie because it's the girl. <laughs> she's at her prom. 
and they pour a bucket of blood on her head and she destroys the entire gym. Have I seen that scene? I'm pretty sure you have because we've watched enough movies on this <laughs> podcast that you have to have seen at least that scene. Or you've yeah, seen parodies know. of it. I mean, maybe that, but I mean, it's still not really ringing a bell. Okay. Anyway, I agree with Lucas. I think you can. I think you can see okay. a lot of similarities between uh, Angela and Carrie, because you know, a large portion of Carrie is just like setting up the fact that literally the entire world is just crapping on this girl the entire time. Like, yeah, the set of circumstances she's up against is unparalleled. But you know, uh, I. I do think, you know, it is worth saying, uh, Carrie did not have a disgusting cook, uh, try to, uh, try to molest slash rape her, uh, in the, uh, storage room of, uh, in the storage room of, uh, kitchen. Right. Yeah, like a... <clears throat> um, also, don't think that, uh, don't think that Carrie had a guy try to force himself on her multiple times like Paul Paul in this movie I think is really someone to be studied because like yeah if you want to if you want to take a look at like how the the just skewed way that some men look at like sexuality or like sexual relations with the, like their their girlfriends or their wives or whatever like you can look at Paul because he believes no matter what he's entitled to this <laughs> he's entitled to to this to this gratification from Angela and he and says most when she says no I mean he doesn't take responsibility and say okay he's like oh come on it's not that bad mm-hmm. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure he actually does say you like I, I deserve this no, no, Paul. You you actually don't. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see because at first when he starts interacting with Angela, he's you kind of like him because he's the only person there who's nice to her, and yeah. they're you know they start liking each other and they have a relatively normal to get to like each other relationship. Um, and then it gets to that point where he's like, okay, looks like we gotta have sex now, and it's just like it's. So downhill, so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he cheats on her and expects it. Oh, I mean, it was just one time. Can't you just forgive me this one time? Please, 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 please. If he said please one more time. Yeah, oh. dear God. And it, it really is just... Like, like, if you actually take the time to just look at, like, you do come out of this movie really hating Paul. Because Paul... Mm-hmm. There, you can... There are certain characters in this movie who die who I think you could probably make an argument like maybe they didn't deserve to die. Uh, like, those kids who are just killed off randomly uh, in their sleeping bags, like, I think I think the director has said that the reason that they die is because they, like, threw sand on Angela and she was that petty that she, that she killed them. Uh, but, like, they didn't deserve to die. I think you could probably make an argument that Meg didn't deserve to die. Um, I mean, it's a weak argument, but I think you could yeah. make an argument. But Paul, 100%, <laughs> deserves to die. Right. 
I mean, he's just kind of a scummy kid pretty much the entire movie. So there is one glaring thing that we just haven't really touched on yet, and I feel, you know, probably better now to go on and get out of the way so we can start our discussion of it. Uh, the end of the movie? The end of the movie. Um, so yeah. for those of you who don't know, uh, even if you have no idea what this movie is that we're talking about, there's a decent chance that you've stumbled across the ending of this movie before. Because this is this is a movie ending that always shows up on one of those top ten twist endings you never saw coming, or like top ten uh top 10 endings that left you surprised and the reason for that is is you go throughout the entirety of this of this movie and you are led to believe that Angela uh, you're led to believe that Angela is the surviving sibling of an accident that claimed her brother's life uh, eight years before the events of this movie and claimed the life of her dad however in the last, I'm pretty sure, two minutes of this movie, mm-hmm. we find out, no, 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 Angela was not the one who survived. Uh, her brother Peter survived, and her aunt, whose name I can never remember, but she's just amazing, um, <laughs> uh, she gets custody of Peter and says, you know, I don't really, I don't really want another son, um... You, you're going to be my daughter. Um, so she raises Angela as a as a girl and we or as a uh, woman and we find out from we find out literally at the end of the movie that Angela mm-hmm. was was actually a boy the whole time. Um, so what a twist. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about it. Say, Lucas, I know you have thoughts, so I'm just gonna let you go. Okay. Um, yeah, take it, Lucas. There's always, like, a constant... Um, whenever you're watching older horror movies, you kind of come to expect things that wouldn't be acceptable in, in modern movies, like we talked about earlier. Uh, like, there's so much more misogyny in older movies than there are now, and along with that, there's more homophobia and transphobia, and with this... I'd count it as transphobia, specifically trans misogyny, which is, like, specifically for trans women and trans feminine people. Um, and trans misogyny is a huge... It's a huge staple of a lot of media, especially in horror, because trans bodies are often considered inherently scary. Um, and there's a lot of... Say in Silence of the Lambs, there's that whole thing with that character who's a transsexual and they're the murderer and so on. Um, so in this, it's, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say, I have a hard time qualifying it because it's not just classic straight up trans misogyny, it's this little kid was raised and forced to be, you know, forced to be raised as the gender that doesn't match their, like, sex and that whole thing, which is just hard to describe, honestly, in a way that, huh. Well, well, I mean, it, it kind of gets into this whole, like... Yeah, it's, it's almost used as just a way to give Angela this sort of sense of otherness. Just well, it's it's, it's it's used to kind of give her a traumatic past. Yeah, it, I definitely think it's it's 
that you know kind of led her to become this murderer yeah so i think it's interesting because it's not like the whole time it's not oh she's a man and she's killing people and it's oh it's just a this last twist where it's like oh that's why she was so distant and kind of just seemed generally out of it the whole time because mm-hmm. when she's not 80 percent of the movie she's just sitting and silent and just staring at it, like just mm-hmm. thousand yard stare um so i think it's an aspect of the movie that i mean you know if you were talking to someone who's going to view it uh, especially if they are trans, I would warn them. But yeah, it's it's just an interesting way of showing it, uh, like going about that whole situation. Because, you know, when you see the aunt in the beginning, I get scary vibes from her. She is, mm-hmm. she, the way she talks, the way that she moves, it's very, oh God, something is wrong. Um, so with that, you can kind of get a feel for something is wrong with Angela and you know that her sibling died in the thing in the crash and you kind of go from there so yeah i just think it's something very strange to consider when when watching it uh and how that impacts your views on certain things um i mean i think it's set up very poorly um, yeah and that i feel like it reflects um you know raising someone who is trans as a an inherently bad thing uh, because like it's making kind of like generalizing it saying like the parent is forcing this child to Doug you're giving me a look well well <laughs> my my only thing is like I don't think that I don't think it's classified as like raising her as trans I think it's just like forcing her into a different like sexual orientation right yeah it's because that's what's kind of hard to talk about. Because that that the the words you just use to describe it get kind of muddied when you're thinking about instead of you know someone being like, oh, my gender doesn't match what I was classified as at as at birth, mm-hmm. and you take an approach that's more, oh, this adult is forcing this child to you know live it's as a different gender than they are. It, it's strange. Um, it it kind of reminds me. Uh, I I read I read once this study, um, and it was the study was all focused around like what what makes a person like who they are, like what gives a person their personality, and the the study was based around uh, or like one of the groups, one of the examples that they looked at was there was this set of parents who they gave birth to a son. And their son was accidentally castrated. Uh, so, uh, so their son was accidentally castrated, and they raised their son as as female. Uh, yeah, I I've read about that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm choking on water. Now, I've read about that. Now, once again, that study doesn't necessarily have anything to do with uh, with like. Uh, transsexual uh, identifications or anything like that, but it is similar in, like, I don't really know how it's similar. Yeah, I think I, I think I've thought of a way to explain it, um, or how to phrase it relatively concisely. It's, so, it, you know, so when raising a kid, if you have a trans kid, then the right way to raise them, to, you know, support them 
in life and mentally and just overall help their mental health is to raise them as the gender that's opposite from whatever they were assigned at birth. However, if you do that to a cisgender child who, you know, doesn't have any kind of incongruence with what they were assigned as, that's going to cause, you know, some emotional distress and some, like, very intense distress, which I, that's, I think that's the case with Angela. And, like, that study that you mentioned, Doug, that was the same kind of thing, where they had this uh, assigned male at birth kid be accidentally castrated and didn't... I think they, they put him on... Uh, when he reached like puberty, they put him on estrogen. Yeah, and yeah, yeah they like. And, and as that continued, he was he was he got more and more unhappy. And I think there was some there was some sexual abuse with that too. In that case, I think. Um, yeah, if if I remember if I remember the end of the study, um, I think I think whenever whenever uh, he turned like twenty one, he did have sexual reassignment surgery. Um, yeah, with um for like. For restoring, for restoring, I guess, like the... For restoring. Yeah, yeah that's... Yeah. Because, you know, for him, his gender matched what he was originally assigned as before, you know. Um, so raising him as female didn't work out because he wasn't transgender. He was just forced to mm-hmm. be socialized as female, uh, which I think is... That's that's just the distinction. I'd say, is that like, uh, what y'all think happened in this movie? Yeah, because... Like, I don't think that Angela is trans, um, like, I, I wouldn't count Angela's transgender, because that's... I mean, like, yes, we do she's... see, like, um, Angela is being, like, forcibly raised as a girl, but yeah. I don't know that we necessarily see her, I guess, identify as a girl, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, kind of, yeah, that, no, that makes sense, because, I mean, throughout the movie, it's not like she... Like, she doesn't go, oh, I should be in the boys' dorms. Right. Um, and she kind of so she kind of goes along with what is expected, you know, like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. staying with the girls, yeah. But also, she doesn't say anything. Like, she's just kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm going over here, I'm, I'm going to sit quietly, and anytime someone says anything about their body, I'm going to look really uncomfortable. Um, I... So it's... I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I would say that we do get just a little inclination of like how she how she's like feeling about all this um, mm-hmm. internally, like sexuality wise, because we do get this. If you don't know the ending, you get this what appears to be a really random scene out of nowhere, where it's like a thought. It's a shot of like what Angela's thinking uh, mm-hmm. while Paul is uh, you know forcing himself on her again. Mm-hmm. Paul, such a piece Sucks. of crap. Um, so hard. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, we get this kind of like insight into her her psyche, and we see her remembering back to a time when she saw her dad, and either her dad's husband or her dad's lover, male friend, male friend, um, person, and the way that I've always read it is. Angela is Angela in that moment feeling like this social taboo especially in the 80s because you know it is still that's like you know heavily you know homosexuality is very taboo like don't talk about it don't address it Um, Mm -hmm. so what I've always read as is Angela feeling like is Angela feeling like I'm breaking the social norm right now like this is 
I mean, we even see it a little bit because um, both the kids are like they're at the door, like giggling. Yeah. While that scene is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole that whole flashback is interesting because they have her and her brother at the door, you know, watching like her dad and whoever in bed together, and then it cuts to both of the kids sitting on a bed, and the like brother is pointing at. Mm-hmm. The sisters like chest, and they just had they hold that sh- that shot for a while. Of, a long, so I don't know if it's what they were going for, but it kind of looked like he was trying to touch her. I don't know if that's Me? what they were trying to do. It was a very unclear. To be fair, that is the same right around where uh, where Judy calls Angela out for uh, for quote being a carpenter's dream, flat as a board, and needs a screw. Mm-hmm. God. Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a there's throughout the movie there's a big highlight on I guess pubescent sexuality, um, mm-hmm. which like is they very talk uncomfortable. About, yeah, oh, supremely, very much like so. the antagonist, or not really the antagonist, the girl who antag who antagonizes um, Angela the most. It's made a point like, oh, her breasts are are huge for girls our age and mm-hmm. she's so she's overly sexualized for someone who's yeah. like 15 yeah and that's and in it it's used as like a social thing where it's like oh angela you you wish you were me with it's just like that i guess competitiveness uh, mm-hmm. that comes with puberty especially with like girls kind of get pit against each other because of the whole way that well I don't actually, you know, I'm not even going to try to get into like well, the social thing of well, you know, it sexism. it really is it really is interesting, especially with the character of Judy because she is a character who's mm-hmm. so overly sexualized, um, yeah, and because I don't want to feel absurdly uncomfortable with this movie, I'm not going to look up how old that actress was when she played I tried. Judy. I couldn't figure it out. This is the only movie she's ever been in. Yeah, I know. Um, so her IMDb page didn't say. Hey guys, what's up? It's your old pal Ben, and y'all know why I'm here. I'm here to interrupt the action with a few announcements. Now first, I just want to thank each and every one of you for listening. Uh, I hope you're having a great week. Uh, If you're not, hopefully this podcast can help you have a great week, and I hope your day and your week get a whole lot better. If you are interested in signing up for a Patreon, well first of all, that's awesome. Uh, You should definitely do it. Uh, But secondly, you should do it because you get a whole bunch of cool stuff with it. All sorts of bonus content, behind-the-scenes posts, photos, bonus episodes, early access episodes, all sorts of cool stuff. Definitely don't want to miss it. Uh, you can check all that out at patreon.com slash vitermedia. That's V-I-T-E-R. Another great way you can support us is by checking out our merch store. We've got stickers, buttons. If you want some more stuff, let us know. We'll see what we can do about that. But yeah, you can check all that out at vitermedia.com slash merch. Now, the easiest way to support us is just keep on doing what you're doing. Listen to us. Share us with your friends. Share us with that person who you're thinking about right this moment. Now, if you want to support a specific show, what you can do, you can go to the show page on whatever platform you're listening on, Spotify, iTunes, whatever, and you can leave us a rating and a review. It'll help us with the ever-challenging algorithm, and we would honestly just appreciate it so much. 
Now, that's all I've got. Uh, be sure to check out the other shows on Viter Media. We've got The Flea Pit. We've got Tea with Doug G. They're both awesome. You don't want to miss them. Now, let's get back to the show. She's also the only character who, like, sex, liter sex, to a certain extent, kills her. Um, because well, that's one way to put that. Well, yeah. Well, you know, a very phallic object is is her demise. I don't know how I taught my way around this, but like. But, like, you both get my point. But please try. Yeah, yeah, no. I think it was a curling iron? Oh, yeah, no, it's, trust me, I mean, I know I know what the death scene is. It's a curling iron. Um, oh, yeah. A, a curling iron is taken and uh, placed forcibly into, uh, into Judy. Um, that, that's all I'll say. But but anyway, yeah, I mean, like, there is something to be said about the fact that... About the fact that Judy is an absurdly sexualized character, and Paul, to a certain extent, is a very sexualized character, and they both receive probably the most horrific deaths. Say, Paul, we don't actually really see get killed. We just see him after he dies, and, you know, that he's been... Decapitated. Honestly, it looks like his head has been, like, ripped off of the body, because, like... Uh, like, yeah, he's yeah. been decapitated, but, like, there's also, like, stuff, like, hanging from the neck. So. So, yeah, I mean, it, it really is interesting, like, this movie's whole relationship with sex and sexuality, mm-hmm. because I think, personally, I think it's trying to say something, I think it's trying to have a message I just don't think it knows what its message is. I mean, I think it's very fitting, uh, in a way, because, like, I mean, let's be real. Teenagers are horny. Very much so. So, I mean, you've got this summer camp that is nothing but mostly unsupervised teenagers. Things are gonna happen. So, I mean, I think it makes sense to have some overly sexualized characters like Judy, like um, Paul, paying for your thoughts, Lucas. Yeah, I'm just trying to like, I'm because I'm just thinking about it. And I'm like, yeah, like, <laughs> just there's just so much. Um, yeah, like, I mean, I don't have anything to compare it to. I went to summer camp as a kid, uh, but it was like just a regular. I don't know, like this didn't happen. Um, <laughs> oh I yeah, would, it was certainly just a hardcore. Fun. It was a very hardcore. This did not happen at my summer camp. Yeah, like, I, it was just a Christian summer camp, very, you know, just nice and, and not not that, not whatever is happening here. Yeah. Um, and, and sleepaway camp, not only are all, almost all of the campers, like, fixated around sex and there's so much, so many sexualized scenes, and the costuming, oh, dear God, the costuming. Um, <laughs> I have positive and negative thoughts, um, but... Uh, not only are they that, uh, but they're also so incredibly mean. Like, they're all so mean to each other. That's, a, that's another thing. Teenagers are really mean. 
Yeah, but and I feel but like to to Lucas's to Lucas's point, like it's it's very overstated in this movie. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah. It's. Like, it feels like... It doesn't feel like the movie's trying to say, like, well, this is real-life levels of how kids act. Like, some of it, yeah, sure. Like, kids can be ruthless. Um, Do you think it's a parody? Like, a parody of what, like, 80s teen life is like? Maybe unintentionally. I think they just kind of... I mean, I I don't think... Except for the whole, you know, murdering? Yeah, the whole... That... um, It's either... I feel like it's just, man, what do teenagers act like? Yeah, do that. Um, yeah, whatever you think that it's is. It's turning up to like an like 11. More. Yeah. Um, I just feel like the writers were not taking care of like, hmm, <clears throat> would an 11 year old really do this? And they were like, nah, just put it in there. Um, plus, it's, you know, if they weren't so mean, there would not be as much conflict in the movie, and then you don't really have as much of a plot. Right. Um, but like, man, the whole time I was just, God, these, all of these people are just so evil. Like, there's like maybe three normal people there, but with the costumes, yes, mm-hmm. I think that lends too to like the conversation about like this, how sexualized everyone is. Also, I, I tried looking it up, and from from what I can tell, the actress for Judy was like thirty. Yeah, I just looked yeah, that she up. looked a lot older. Than, I looked that up. Yeah, uh, uh, everybody yeah. else. So that's that's um good. That's well. Something. Also, uh, that's, that's, don't know about that. Also, I don't know. Just, yeah, because uh, she does share a kiss with Paul in the movie. Oh my god, you're right. She does. Jeez. Okay, hold and on. Paul is not thirty. <laughs> there's no good turnout for this. Never mind. No, there's not. Um, what were you saying? Though? If if you if you want like just a little like good thing about the actress, um, so now because this is the only film role she's ever done, um, mm-hmm. now she goes to horror conventions and she. She found, like, this cheap brand of curling iron, and she bought, like, all... They were going out of... They were going out of business. She bought their Uh entire inventory of curling irons for, like, dirt cheap, and now she sells them and autographs them and donates the money to charity. So... Love that. Nice. So, you know, hey, I mean... That's how you embrace a role. That's how you embrace a role. Man... Hey, I mean, if you're just going to be in one movie and, you know, this is it, might as well capitalize on that. Oh, yeah. Do something good with it. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, honestly, that is really awesome. Like, using money made because of this, like, very horrible, really sexualized thing for a good cause. Yeah. I support it. Something with it. I'm not buying one, but I support (laughs) it. Yeah, fair. Because I'm good. I, I, I don't want that. Um, did you have any more on the costuming, Lucas? Oh, yeah. Did I did I talk about that or did I just? You kind of mentioned it, um, and then we got off on yeah. Judy again. Okay. Well, I mean, with the costuming, um, from the counselors to a lot of the campers, um, both like boys and girls, the costumes are very. And it may have been like some of it is you know the fashion of the time, and some of it is okay. This was like a choice that you made. Um, they're very short shorts are very tight and so many crop tops which you know i'm i'm a supporter of like men in crop tops um but some of them it's like you could i could almost see the guy's nipples um like one of the first camp counselors that you see who winds up you know he's one of the few relatively normal his his name is ronnie 
and Ronnie. and he shows up in the fourth one. Really? Yeah, Paul D'Angelo. <laughs> well, and him. he wears um, the exact same short shorts in the fourth one. Oh my god! Right. So you see him, and you can see a lot of him. Um, he's got very tight shorts. He's got a very tight um, shirt. Shirt like a. It's like a it's like a it's like a tank top like a sleeveless tank like a sleeveless tank top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, he's got he and he's very he's very muscular. Very muscular. He's got muscular. some solid like pecs. Like mm-hmm. he's very So you see him and you're like, "Oh, is this guy going to be like predatory towards the kids?" And then you see everyone else and you're like, "Oh my god, everyone is dressed like this." And right. also, he's not even predatory towards anyone. No. He's like a normal person. Yeah. And he's like <laughs> he's like the only one who's just like, "Hey, maybe we should shut down the camp." Um, yeah. right. Right, that's another thing. It's just like, yeah, one kid died. Ah, oh, keep going. Keep going. Mel, it's fine. Mel, Two kids died. The the old It's fine. Dude. It was totally an accident. Don't worry about it. Yeah, the guy who runs the camp is just Mel. All he cares about his Mel. his his name is Mel. Uh, Mel. He's always seen with a cigar because, of course, he is. Um, and I both want to know. Talking once again about how about how awful the people are in this movie. I hmm. want to know. But I also do not in any way want to know how in the Sam Hill he and Meg, who's like a 20-year-old camp counselor, Mm -hmm. started their relationship. Oh, agreed. Because it in no way started as a good thing. No, and I feel like it just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, when that happened in the movie, I was like, wait, hold on. Hold on. I can only take so much of this. Because I... Like at that point, I was like, "Okay, I yeah, I guess this will happen. I guess this might as well be another thing they add." Um, it's because it's such an intense age gap. It's it's just it's blatantly gross, um, mm-hmm. and that just adds just a another layer layer to it, I guess. Um, since I mean, the first person that you see in the camp who, you know, like the the main pedophilic scene where one of the cooks of the camp he he attempts to molest Angela like that's another that's another staff person well even before that I mean his oh, first yeah. oh, his sorry. first scene on camera that cook's first mm-hmm. scene on camera is literally him looking at just a crowd of kids going yeah, I'm not even going to say the words he says but he's basically I forgot about he's that basically scene. like talking about the fact that you know yep I'm I'm going to I'm going to do things with at least one of them. Yeah, like that whole yeah, because there's an entire shot where it's just they have like six different kind of gross looking old guys. And the other like, cooks oh, yeah. are like and the other cooks are like, oh, they don't even know what you're talking about. Ha ha ha. No. No. Yeah, yeah they like they're bad. they're palling around. They're like, ah, oh, yeah, man, you're into kids, that's hilarious. Like what? Um, so I mean that first death I was like yeah yeah get him because he doesn't even die he's not dead does he not no he just has severely burned and taken out by the ambulance I just assumed that that killed him arguably I was like one of if not the I don't know if he edges out Paul or Mel for most disgusting person in this movie but he does not die I think he does 
I yeah. Since he is, like, we don't know for sure that Mel was predatory when Meg was underage. We know for sure that this guy is. Fair point. All right, sweet. It's we have our we have our worst person out of the movie. Yeah, and since you see, like, I mean, when you're watching it, the amount that you when you see that happen, I think the way that because yeah, like the other guy in the movie also has his you know he's also disgusting and predatory but the amount that you see happen with did you say the cook's name did the cook have a name uh, is he just it starts guy? with an a uh well that guy i want to say alan like what you see him alan what, what you see him do with angela it's like you you're it's incredibly uncomfortable mm-hmm. and so when when that death comes it's like yes he deserved this um uh, I mean, just scenes like that in movies, it's, they're, they're just so hard to watch, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, um, it's, there's so many things in this movie <laughs> that are just such huge red flags. Yeah, it's like a, um, just a red flag compilation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like an hour and 30 minute long yeah. <laughs> compilation of red flags. Yeah. Um, uh, so, and, uh, Unlike Midsummer, whose music goes, you know, very well with that, say the music in this movie just kind of slaps you upside the face. Yes, sir, it oh. does, and that's a heck of a transition. I love it. I'm getting better at, the, at these uh, whole segue things. I love it, Ben. Yeah, uh, I uh, Doug, I know you specifically really wanted. To talk I about love the music. music in this movie. It's. It's so it's so stupid, but I love the it music is. in this movie. There are so many things in this movie to hate, and rightfully so. <laughs> but if I have to have one thing in this movie that I actually love, it's the music. Because there is zero subtlety to it. At all. So, sometimes, sometimes, you know, I think Christopher Nolan watched this movie and used this as inspiration for some of his scores because sometimes, you know, the music in this, much like in a Christopher Nolan movie, is louder than the actual dialogue being spoken. And and isn't that just a great thing? Yeah, I love, I love hearing the soundtrack more than whatever the actors are saying. That's like, that's my favorite part. You know, you know, if only we could play the di- the music over what the characters are doing, like mm-hmm. that would be just the icing on the cake. Yeah. But instead we got to watch what the characters are doing and listening to what they're saying. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for the most part, there's like parts in the beginning you you're just sitting there watching them talk and you're like, <laughs> "Yeah, I bet I bet they're saying words." <laughs> I Sure wish I knew what they were, but yeah. For, yeah, the sound quality in this film is not terrific. Um, and and what's funny is, I, I mean, I'm going to level with everyone listening. We watch this movie on YouTube because it's free on YouTube. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I've watched this movie, like, the official release, and I've watched it with subtitles on. There are some lines there said in this movie that even the subtitles don't even know what it is. <laughs> oh, so just across the board. Yeah, across, across the board, board like that issue. Like that whole scene in uh, the beginning with the kids who were in the motorboat, like and they're mm-hmm. yelling over the sound of the motorboat. Like you still don't know what they're saying. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, you get the gist. I mean, yeah, that, that's all you need. But mm. man, yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I I love the music in this, and it. 
you know, it really punches you. Also, I like the fact that every now and then you get, like, some slightly diegetic, just 80s generic music, like, generic yeah. synth music. <laughs> and the the score blends so well into that synth music that, you know, they can go straight from score to synth, right back to score. And Yeah, I noticed that. And it's just, you know, it's just that's good composition uh, of music. Next time, that's the word I would use, but next time it was something. Next time Mike brings up how much he loves the score in How to Train Your Dragon. Nah, Sleepaway <laughs> Camp. That's that's <laughs> the best score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Sure. You know, Elijah. Okay, Elijah Doug. talks about how much he loves the music in August Rush. Nah, Sleepaway Camp. That's it. Okay. Okay, Doc. I mean, it, it matches the rest of the movie. I mean, you're right. Um, Over the top and really loud. Yeah, it's definitely a soundtrack. Um, man, like the opening scene, it's 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 a nice, you know, slow shot of the camp. But they, some movies try to make an effort to kind of like at the beginning set you at ease and be like oh look at this nice place nothing bad could happen oh no it's scary now because something bad happened but just right in the beginning at that shot they have this like loud uh i don't even know i don't know how to describe i I can i can uh, try um yeah i'm sorry for everyone listening on on headphones but you know you get a nice uh you get a nice That's really that's a really good rendition. Thank you, yeah. thank you. Yeah. You know what's funny like, like, is cool. the uh, the version that we watched. Um, there's actually a missing shot from the opening, because um, oh, huh. the movie traditionally you get the uh, you get the studio logo, which is some random studio. Um, you get the studio logo, and then before the music even kicks in, you get a nice shot of just a black screen, and it says "To Mom, a Doer." Oh yeah. That's what? I was uh, reading on IMDb. Uh, the director dedicated this movie to his mother. He did. You know. <laughs> you know, oh it was God. his first movie. Okay. And one of his only movies. Um, <laughs> but he dedicated it to his mom. Man. But in the, in the traditional, or in the, like, normal screenings, like, you get that shot of to mom, a doer. <laughs> wow, amazing! Like you dedicate that to a like a, to like a horrible mother. That's not. <laughs> no, it's not oh. the music. It's everything else in this movie. How could you dedicate this to your mom? Yeah. Or what kind of mom did you have? Like, especially considering the the person that you introduce as, like, the adult caretaker of uh-huh. these kids, and you set her up as that, and then you're like, love you, Mom. <laughs> like, what? Mm. Man. Mm. Oh. oh, man. Strange. But, uh, but going, kind of following this trend of, like, the actual good things that are enjoyable in this movie, um, mm. I think there's a lot of really enjoyable acting in this movie. Um, I think Felissa Rose actually does a really good job. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, first of all... Say, the way that, like, her just stare is... Oh, my gosh, it's, it's unsettling. Creepy. It's Unsettling, that's the word I was going it's, for. It's actually one of the most unsettling things I've ever seen. And also, just her capacity to be still for oh. so long. 
like she looks like a statue and i'm i'm really not trying to like downplay her acting because she actually does do her scenes very well like especially when she starts to unravel towards the end like she plays it very well still very subdued um but she's great also i love jonathan tierston in this movie uh ricky her cousin i think mm-hmm. i think he's one of the highlights of the movie for me oh yeah no doubt partly because he just goes for it the entire yeah. time um so i, I kind of wish we got a little bit more of him um mm-hmm. but i mean it's an 80s slasher film i'm not expecting a whole lot yeah it's it's <laughs> the depth of his character it's really funny because because, uh, and I told y'all this before we started recording, but Jonathan Tierson, like, the thing that got him cast in this role is they called in all the guys who they were gonna read for Ricky for a callback, and they just said, alright, we're gonna give you, like, three minutes, just shout as many profanity-laden, um, insults as you can, and Jonathan Tierson just started screaming insults at people. And that's ninety percent of what he does as yeah. a character. Yeah, he does. Hey, he did a good job of it. He has some of my favorite lines in this movie. I just can't say them on this podcast. Yeah, you could probably repeat maybe three lines out of this whole movie. Yeah, um. that, that's 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 probably that's probably about right. Yeah, um, yeah. There is some very some people. It does feel like okay. This is a person who is uh, saying lines. Uh, but a lot of the kids, they have a very intense. They really portray the bloodlust of like teenagers, pretty well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely Angela, Angela and Ricky really. Yeah. Also, I mean, hold that core I mean, she's a terrible character, but I mean, I think Judy, uh, mm-hmm. Karen Fields, uh, is a, mm-hmm. is her name. I think she does a great job. Part of that might be because oh, yeah. she's actually 30. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for what the character is, she plays it extremely well, like, completely. Also, and I, I didn't bring this up before, but, you know, I, ha- I have done some research into this movie, and in spite of the fact that there is so much just horrible subject matter in this movie... Uh, from what I've seen, all the actors, like, have, like, good memories of this movie. Like, they all, like... Oh, that's good. They all, like, say that they had, like, a really good... It was a very good experience filming it. I, um, I do know that there was uh, at least one person who was, like, bullied on set. but And, like, the, at, like, the uh-huh. people involved with the film had to, like, kind of step in there. Yeah, um, right. That, that's good that overall, though, there wasn't, like, right. a huge... Because yeah. if there was a, like, a horrible thing that happened during production of the movie, too, that's, like, man, the entire thing is yeah. just... And, but that's... that's yeah. And I think, I think for the most part, I think this cast... The cast hasn't done a whole lot since this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, Felissa Rose has had the most of a career, and I think she's done maybe six movies overall in her mm-hmm. career. But, like from what I've seen, like, they all seem to have very good relations with each other, um, keep in good touch, or keep in touch, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, 
you know, it doesn't make up for the fact that there's just some terrible stuff in this movie, but it does kind of soften that blow. All right, well, you know, this may be the second week of Horror October, but it's the first one where we've had really a sizable body count uh, to look at. So, uh, guys, I mean, what do you think is your is your favorite death scene in this movie? I've already said my favorite is... It's, it's gotta be the curling iron. Because uh-huh. it's probably one of the simplest shots, Like, and you don't see really anything. It's just shadows. And I love it. It's, yeah. it's great. So I'm sitting here trying to think. Um, honestly, I think I'm gonna go with Paul. Uh, there at the end. Just like the build up to it and like watching their uh, relationship unfold over the whole movie. It's just, a l- I want to say satisfying mm-hmm. to like see how it all ends. Something that's really cool. Yeah. I, um, I, I love practical effects mm-hmm. in horror movies. I love all of that, especially deaths that are just ridiculous, just way over the top and like, oh, I, I guess that could kill someone. Yeah. Uh, and for me, in this, that was um, the hornet death, yep. or the wasp, or whatever, those bees, something. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, all you see is a hornet's nest being lowered in through the window um, into, like, a bathroom stall. And the entire time I'm thinking, he could totally crawl out from that stall, like, under the... Because she has the doors blocked, but he could crawl mm-hmm. out under the door. Uh, so that kind of adds a layer of kind of humor um, and then the fact that they kill him, that when it cuts to his face, they're just all over, and it looks like they already started, like, from what I saw, you can see some of his skull. It, it I don't looks know like I they're like... nesting in his, in his skull. Yeah. In the span of maybe a minute. Yeah. Um, and that, that part just made me kind of crack up. Um, cause, like, man, that's, th- that's insane. Um, I think that's my favorite, just for the sake of just how ridiculous and over the top it is mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah um also just really weird sidebar i i looked at like one of the ways that like they did the practical effects for that for that uh death scene and all the boils on his arms they're just crushed raspberries which is just <laughs> <laughs> like that's the that. kind of low budget stuff i'm looking for in a yeah. slasher is let's just <laughs> shove some some raspberries on this dude's arm and that will be like boils from like yeah they'll get it yeah, the audience they, the audience they, will get they it they get it they get it um yeah I, mean, that I shot certainly is... didn't think it was raspberries yeah yeah because that, that shot was interesting because, you know, you don't immediately see his skull being nested into. It just trails up his arm and up to his face. And when you start looking at his arm, it's like, oh, that's not that... Maybe he's allergic? Oh, no, that's definitely... <laughs> like, just the, the the transition from, like, maybe those are just really bad stings to, oh, God, oh, no. Um, that part, I, th- I thought that was a pretty good uh, way of showing it. Yeah. All right, let's write this thing. Uh, if this is your first time listening to us, uh, we rate our movies on a 100-point scale. You can kind of think of it like a uh, an American grade scale, you know, A, B, C, D, F. Uh, 100 means it is a perfect film. It cannot get better. This scale cannot be broken. Doug? Um, Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, and it can go all the way down to a 1, which means it is an irredeemable pile of turds. It can go down to um, 0. 
I've been saying one. Right. Okay. So, it might could go down to zero. I don't think that's happening this week, but no. Uh, uh, it, maybe we'll cross that bridge if it happens. Uh, but yeah, what are you boys gonna give this? Uh, Lucas, you're our guest. Uh, you want to start us off? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm giving it a solid thirty. Oh. Hundred. Okay. I I can go next. That was. Much lower than I was expecting. I, um, I got my way of scoring. Well, man, Ben, uh, <laughs> buddy. Um, oh, so, no. so I might need to rethink this. All right, so so I gave it, I gave it fifteen points for that for the acting. I gave it twenty points for the music because obviously, overall ten points for the story. Okay, so that puts you at forty-five. However. I'm going to take away 30 points just because oh. of all the crap that's in this movie that's, like, just messed up. So, I'm going to give this movie a 15. Oh. Now, that being said, yeah. this is my this is my kind of just trash that, mm. you know, you know, you bring people okay. to watch. I, I was not expecting Go ahead, Ben. Nah, man, go ahead. What's your score? Okay. Um, so, I don't think this is a good movie. Uh, I think from a certain point of view, though, it is an enjoyable movie. So I do have to give it, you know, props for that. Uh, this movie also, though, does have a ton of issues. So I'm going to give it a 60. And that's fair. Uh, that's totally yeah. fair. We all got our way of waiting it. You know, if you if you don't take away the thirty points that I took away from it, then we're at fifteen point intervals of each other. Yeah, um, but instead we're not. Uh, but yeah, after <laughs> uh, plugging this into the uh, scorometer, uh, we have a final score of thirty-five. So this is. You know, I was considering giving it a thirty-five. So. Well, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I did not. I thought about it, and I was like, eh. Uh, but yeah, that makes this officially our lowest-rated movie we've done. Uh, don't worry, we can go lower. <laughs> I mean, you're right. N- no, I've watched next week's movie. Um, oh. Oh, uh, no, man. Speaking of next week's movie, what are we watching next week, Doug? Yeah, uh, so, look, like I said, I didn't think I was pitching a terrible movie to watch this week. <laughs> Um, cause I forgot about a bunch of stuff, but, uh, next week, I know that we're watching a piece of trash movie. Next week, we're watching Slumber Party Massacre. Um. Never seen it. Lucas, have you seen it? I, I don't think I've seen it either. Well, you know, just gonna go on and let you know, um, mm, everything you think would be in a, in an 80s slasher called Slumber Party Massacre... Mm-hmm. Everything you think is in there is in there. There's at least two things I'm sure yep. of. And that's And you're probably right on and Master. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then some other All stuff. Right. But there's also right. an interesting <laughs> history to talk about, and I'm looking forward to talking about that. Um All but right. until then, uh Lucas, thank you so much for being on. Did you have a great time? I, yeah, thank you for having me. I um I had a time and it was nice <laughs> with you guys. A time with and that. we watched a movie. 
a time was had, a movie was watched. Uh, but yeah, uh, Lucas, like Doug said, thank you for joining us. Uh, all yeah. you listening at home, uh, go follow us on social media. Uh, at Viter Media, that's V-I-T-E-R Media. And, you know, leave us a rating and review. We'll appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, next week, be sure to listen to us talk about another 80s slasher film that apparently isn't good. Just get ready. Let's go. <laughs> and the music oh, yeah. isn't good for that one. So, oh, geez. So that's taken Might away. Might be lower rated than uh, what we watched <laughs> this week. But yes, until next week, I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Lucas. And this has been Setting the Scheme. Y'all have a great week. <laughs>